Everybody's got a story to tell. And everybody's got a wound to be healed. I want to believe there's beauty I get so tired of holding on I can't let go and I can't move on I want to believe there's meaning here How many times have you heard me cry out God please take this How many times have you given strength to just keep breathing. Oh, I need you. God, I need you now. Standing on a road I didn't Kiddos, if you'd like to be dismissed for Children's Church, you can follow Grace out the back. All right, as those guys go out, if you have your Bible with you, would you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12? That's where we're going to be this morning.
So 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I wanted to, as we finish up reading in 2 Corinthians uh, this week, really, what is that, on, on Tuesday, I guess, on Brenda's birthday, as we celebrate Brenda's birthday, uh, we'll, uh, we'll finish up in, in 2 Corinthians, but um, just wanted to kind of remind you where Paul's been writing at. 1 Corinthians, really, Paul is addressing divisions in the church, and he just basically gets to the point where he's saying, uh, you guys have divisions in the church, there's jealousy, there's arguments that you guys, uh, some of you guys are, are exercising your spiritual gifts. Uh, for your own benefit, not for the benefit of the church. And your real problem is, and he, he kind of ends it, in, uh, not ends it, but there's kind of a pinnacle in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 when he tells them, and the problem is you don't love each other enough. Here's what love looks like, and this is how you're supposed to be toward one another. Um, in 2 Corinthians, then, there's still more problems in the church in Corinth. Um, and uh, in 2 Corinthians, it, it, there are some false teachers who have infiltrated the church in Corinth, and they're, they're preaching a false gospel there. And um, there's apparently been a letter sent back to Paul with some questions. And uh, basically, there are some guys saying, look, we're really wise. We're the guys you ought to be listening to. And who's Paul? And so in 2 Corinthians, Paul's having to defend his own ministry over and over again to the Corinthians. And one of the things I love about 2 Corinthians is Paul's basically saying, listen, what I told you is the message of the gospel, and it's the power of God. What they're giving you is empty human wisdom uh, that has had no effect. And so one of the things that he calls on, he says, I preach the gospel to you and my evidence is on your hearts. It changed your life. He says, whatever these guys are teaching or telling you, it didn't have that kind of effect. And and basically he's comparing and contrasting this kind of human wisdom against the wisdom of God and the wisdom of the gospel. It's just a beautiful, um, beautiful display, a beautiful contrast between the two. Um, is, Is it a little chilly in here now? Oh, yes. <laughs> I see some energetic head nodding. Can someone uh, turn those down a little bit? <laughs> Jason's, I think, standing on his stool. No, it's, I'm finally comfortable after 14 years. All right. Uh, yeah, was, could someone uh, maybe turn off one of those? That'd be very helpful. Thank you very much. All right. So in Second Corinthians, Paul's having to defend himself. And what we see happening, especially in the later verses in, about, in Second Corinthians, especially chapters 10 through 12, Paul's having to boast in himself. And he's and he basically he's saying over and again, I hate to do this, but you drove me to it. You, you know, you, you're listening to these other false teachers, and they're saying, "Who's Paul?" And now Paul's having to go back and, and like reread his resume to them. Okay, I, you know, these are all the things the Lord's done. This is the message that I presented, and he's and it's making him a little crazy. Matter of fact, there are several times there where he says, "I'm speaking out of my mind." It reminds me of that part in Signs, right? Jonathan, where he's talking about. I'm out of my mind. Yeah, anyway, so uh, another story for another time. Anyway, so, but uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, here Paul is going to continue to talk about his boasting. But the story's going to take an incredible turn. Paul's been talking about all of his strengths. He's been talking about all of, the, all, the, all the persecution that he's faced as a believer. And now in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, um, we're going to get to a really more serious note. Paul's going to talk about something that's really bothered him, something that's really afflicted him some that he's really suffered with. And now, um, you know, somehow this particular instance is different than, you know, Paul just in an earlier chapter said, man, I've been shipwrecked, I've been beaten, I've been stoned, I've been flogged, I've been left for dead, I've been exposed in the elements uh, over and over and again. And he said, this is my boast. Here's my qualifications. I've suffered this much. God's called me to suffer this much for the gospel, yet I continue. 
So uh, compare that to your guys who want to, you know, charge you money and, and get rich off, off of their false teachings. Um, but in, somehow what happens in chapter 12 is incredibly personal to Paul. And there's an incredible, um, you know, there's some places in Paul, you know, Paul teaches so much theology, but right in the middle of this, you see Paul saying, and let me tell you a time when I've really struggled. Let me tell you a time where I pleaded with the Lord to change things for me, but he didn't change them. Let me tell you about one of those times. And he said, so let me tell you about, uh, uh, let me tell you about this time. And as we start off into this, I just want to, I just want to remind you all that um, we're all going to have times like this in our lives, right? Many of you said, I I have had times like this in my life, or maybe I'm going through one of those times right now, or maybe I've had many of those times, but if it hasn't happened to you yet, uh, boy, I don't know how to break this to you. It's coming. There's going to be times of trouble in your life. There's going to be times of affliction, and, uh, and, and so I think we all have something really to learn from the Apostle Paul as he can kind of look back um, kind of look back on what the Lord has, has done in this time. So 2 Corinthians chapter 12, please, and uh, we'll read about the first uh, four verses, and I'll just kind of break this up and talk through it a little bit. So 2 Corinthians chapter 12. So Paul talks about, okay, if I must go on boasting, here we go. So 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. I must go on, go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. So here, here's the transition. So here's the first part. Here, something incredible happens to Paul, has happened to Paul. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven. Okay, now, boy, you talk about a sharp right turn right in the middle of the letter. Okay, so Paul is in the middle of this boasting, and he says, now I know a man. Everyone believes this is Paul talking about himself, right? So because Paul's talking about his boasting, and he says, now I'm going to tell you about, about, about visions and revelations, um, visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up in the third heaven. Okay, what, what in the world does that mean? Apparently, and he'll get to it here in a little bit, Paul was either had a vision or was physically taken up into heaven, and it was so extraordinary, Paul doesn't really understand what happened. All he knows is he saw things that people don't ordinarily get to see, and he heard things that people don't ordinarily get to hear. And that, that talking about the third um, uh, the, the third heaven. This means like the highest level in heaven. In, in Jewish thought, there were there were there were different um, uh, well, what do you call them um, heights, levels, different levels of heaven, and, and the third level of heaven was the highest. And Paul says I, he was caught up in that. Middle of verse two. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know this man, whether in the body or apart from the body. Here again, it's kind of funny to me. I do not know, but God knows. Okay. Verse 4, was caught up into paradise. He heard inexpressible things, things that a man is not permitted to tell. Okay, so Paul's going to go on and he says, if I must continue boasting, I'll continue boasting. Let me tell you what happened to me. And he says, visions and revelations. uh, Sounds like this kind of thing had happened to Paul maybe multiple times, or maybe he was just talking about all the revelations and all the visions he had at this time 14 years ago. Don't really know for sure. But something extraordinary happened where Paul had revelation of paradise, revelation of heaven. And he saw and he heard things that no one else has seen or heard who's a, who's a person, right? No other person had seen or heard, right, apparently. So, so here we go. You got that? Okay. I will boast about a man like that, but I, not, I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Okay, now Paul's, gonna, Paul's talking about, let me tell you some other things I have to boast on. 
I, I had these revelations. I had these visions from God. But he says, but I'm not going to boast in them. Instead, he's going to say, I'll boast in my weakness. And we'll get to that here in just a moment about the reason why. Okay, so you got that? So, so here's the deal, right? You and I, we have a vision of God. We're taken up into the third heaven. Man, l- listen, everybody's going to know about it, right? I- I'm going to tell everybody. Everyone's going to be super impressed because right, all, all the time, we are always trying to put our best foot forward. We're always trying to put on our, our best face. We're always trying to, to make sure people know how much we know and, and uh, how wise we are and how smart we are and how special we are to God, right? That, that, that's kind of the, kind of the deal. Um, and then those things that we have weaknesses, we generally take and we keep in the back and we don't tell anyone about our struggles, right? right. Paul says, I want to switch that. I want to take the things that are my weakness and I want to put them out front for you, right? And I want to take the things that I could be the most proud about that and I want to switch that and I want to put that in the back burner and I, and I don't want to boast about it. I don't want to talk to you about it. Instead, I want to talk to you about my weakness. That's pretty incredible. That, that goes against everything that is in our human nature, isn't it? And, and men, let me just talk to you for just a moment. This is especially a struggle for us, right? Listen, you get two guys in a garage, right, and you set a bunch of power tools in them. Neither one of them is going to say, can you show me how to use this? I'm not really sure I'm very good at that, right? I, I mean, the, the male ego will not allow that, right? It's like, I, you never used a drill press before? Man, it don't matter. You drill through your hand, whatever. It just don't matter. You just do it, right? Because you don't want to have to admit to someone you may not know something, right? That, that's tough for us as men, right? It's difficult for us as men. But, but what Paul's talking about here is, is, is an exchange in, in Christianity where he says the things that we could be the most proud of are not the things that we should be most proud of. The things that we should be, should be most proud of is our brokenness, our weakness, and our reliance and dependence upon the Lord. Yeah? Okay, that's, what we're, that's where we're going to get to here. But anyway, so I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Verse 6. Even if I should choose to boast, I would, be, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. So what's he saying? I could talk about this. I could boast about it. I could brag about what's happened to me. I could take pride in it. It would be the truth. But I refrain so no one will think more of me than what is warranted by what I do or say. What does he say? So he says, so, so in humility, I don't want anyone to think more than me than they ought to just because I was taken up to the third level of heaven and saw things that no one else has seen and heard things that no one else has heard, no one should think me any, anything special, right? right? No one should think anyone, anything special for me. Verse 7, okay, now things are going to get tough. Now things are going to get difficult. Verse 7, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. All right. Boy, this is the part where it gets tough, doesn't it? This is, a, this is the part where it gets hard. There are some things, there are some things that we know definitely about this. Um, first of all, um, yeah, am I going to cover that now? Hmm, okay, that's fine. All right, um, I, I'm, let me argue with myself. I, I, I wish I could switch that direction. That'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Okay, first of all, so we don't know what Paul's thorn was. Let me just start by that. But if you open any commentary, 
Everyone has an opinion on what Paul's thorn was. Every single, everybody. And it goes all the way back to the church fathers, to the Latin church fathers from Tertullian to uh, Chrysostom or however you say his name. All those guys had different opinions. The opinions range the gamut. It's everything from maybe Paul had a problem with lust. Actually, man, I don't see anything like that here. Matter of fact, if you look down in in, in verse uh, verse, uh, 9, he says, I'll boast about this. Uh, Probably Paul's not doing a lot of boasting about his sin. Um, it's been suggested that even by some of the early church fathers that he had an earache. Uh, I, I don't know, maybe a really bad one, but, but uh, you know, to torment me, a, a headache even, it was proposed. I think Tertullian suggested he had a, maybe had a really bad headache. Other ones have suggested that he suffered from some palsy, from, from some sort of breakdown in his nervous system because of this great and incredible thing that had happened to him, that it like broke down his central nervous system and all of a sudden uh, he was having all kinds of trouble with uh, like facial contortions, all kinds of crazy stuff people have written. Listen, we don't know what Paul's thorn was. It does not say. All we can do is guess. We do know that Paul had some struggles in his life, though. We do know several times, he mentions in several of his letters, that he had a real problem with blindness, with a real hard time seeing. Not that he couldn't see, but boy, he could he not see well. In one of the letters, he says, look, I'm writing this with my own hands. See the size of, of the letters. And, and basically what, it's, what it seems like is that Paul's having a real hard time in writing and seeing things close up. Another time he's charged in front of, the, he's, he's speaking to the, um, uh, to the high priest. He's speaking to the high priest and someone gets onto him and, and says, I did, how dare you speak to the high priest that way? Now remember, Paul was Saul, who had been a member of the Sanhedrin, would have spent a little bit of time around the high priest. The high priest wears specific special garments to set himself apart because, you know, they're a prideful group, all those, right, all those guys, right? Um, and so uh, Paul is speaking there to the high priest. He would have known him probably. He would have at least known of him and he would have known how he dressed. And it says in Acts, it says that, Paul says, I didn't know that that's who I was talking to. Kind of odd statement, isn't it? It's because obviously in in all of his letters we we can deduct. Paul had a real problem with his vision, which is pretty incredible, isn't it? Because you remember how Paul came to know the Lord, about how, how the Lord came and humbled Paul when he was headed on the road to Damascus, and he struck him blind in a great light, and he spoke to him, and he said, why do you persecute me? And then he went into town, and he had another, a, a brother, a believer, who prayed over him for him to receive his sight. Now, we don't know how long Paul suffered with this. We don't know if Paul's sight wasn't ever maybe fully restored, or maybe it, his sight just got worse, older in his age or what. But for some reason, Paul continued to have some problems with blindness. I think maybe that's the most logical answer. But maybe it's better that we don't know. You know what I mean? See, because what we have a tendency to do, we have a tendency to do what Paul says in Corinthians not to do. We have a tendency to compare ourselves with each other, with other people, right? So, okay, yeah, Paul might have had some real problems with blindness, but, man, he doesn't have the struggles I have, right? My struggles are, are particularly bad and particularly heinous. My struggles are particularly, you know, outrageously bad, and what Paul suffered with blindness is nothing compared to the struggle. Maybe it's better that we don't know what he suffered with. Right, because then it's hard for us to compare and contrast ourselves with the Apostle Paul. But what we do know is that this was a struggle for Paul. The word in the King James Version, I believe, is buffeted. He said, this thing buffeted me. In the ESV, it's harassed. In the NIV, it's, uh, what is it? The end of verse uh, 7. Tormented. Yeah, the, the, 
the, the, what's used there, that word that's used there was often used for, for, for a, a hit on the face or a punch in the head. It, it, it's an accosting. He said, this thing, this thing like punched me in the face. This thing, uh, uh, yeah, uh, like accosted me. It harassed me. It abused me, this thing. And it's particularly troubling to Paul. I think it's fascinating that just a chapter or two before, Paul's talking about, I've been shipwrecked, I've been stoned, I've been flogged, I've been all these things. But this thing in particular, whatever it was, Paul struggled with. Whatever it was, this was real to Paul. That Paul was really suffering under this thing. And so what's he say? He says, so three times I prayed for the Lord. As a matter of fact, it doesn't say prayed either, does it? It says, I pleaded with the Lord to remove it, to take it away. It bothered Paul so much that he approached the Lord three times. The word pleaded probably means that he, uh, it, it, it evokes a particular emotion in the Greek, probably means that he pleaded with God in tears for him to take this away. All right, now before I go on any longer, l- l- let me make sure that you're relating this. Okay, so we see Paul really is, we don't know what it is, but he's really suffered from this thing, whatever it is, from this thorn. So my question for you this morning is, have you had something like this in your life? Have you had something like this where you've really prayed and you've said to the Lord, Lord, I I cannot do this. You've got to change the situation. You have to bring healing or you have to bring change or you have to rescue me from this or or you have to heal me from this because I cannot stand up under this. Have you had something in your life like that? You got something like that in your life right now? Where you just sitting under the Lord and said, you've got to change this. You've got to do something different here. I can't can't do this. You're going to have to move. You're going to have to work. You're going to have to be God. You're going to have to be my healer. You ever been in that kind of distress? You ever been to the point where you weren't just praying, you were pleading with God? Listen, I hate to say it, but every one of us is a phone call away from that kind of situation. I mean, as good as your life could be right now, and you could be at the top of the mountain as far as, you know, everything's going well in your life, everything's going well in your family, everything's going great in your job, every one of us is a phone call away from all that changing, aren't we? It's a frail life we have. It's a frail existence that we have here on this earth, isn't it? It's a frail thing, and every one of us is just a moment away from being on our knees before God, pleading with Him to move and to work. And if it hasn't happened to you yet, I, I'm sorry, it, it, it's probably coming. Th- there's going to be some time in your life when you're buffeted, when you're accosted by the circumstances and the situation that's going on in your life or your family, your children, your parents, your spouse, your marriage. Probably something coming like that for all of us. We know this. We know that Paul's thorn was given to him. Notice that word given. It means it was like a gift to him. Paul uses the word given like, right, it's the verb form of the word gift. He said, this was given to me. What a contrast. He says on one hand, he said, this was given to me for the benefit of what? You can speak. I I don't mean to monologue. What was the benefit for him? I'm sorry. To keep him from exalting himself, as Jamie reads out of the New American Standard Bible, which he says Paul carried, right? So, um, <laughs> exalting himself. In the NIV and ESV, I believe it says, from being dis- conceited. It was to keep him from pride. 
Paul said, I received these visions, I received these revelations, I was taken up into the third heaven, but to keep me grounded, to keep me my feet on the floor, on the ground, and to keep me from being prideful, I was given a gift. And the gift was a thorn. That word thorn is an interesting one. It, it, it means basically anything kind of pointy. It's, it's used, uh, the same word is used in the, uh, in the uh, oh my goodness, the Hebrew translation, I'm sorry, the uh, Greek translation of the Old Testament. Somebody help me. Septuagint, thank you, yes. Yeah, so, um, it, it, yeah, where it's used in Hosea chapter 2, verse 6. Do you remember that part? I love Hosea. If you loved Hosea as much as I would, you would remember this. But uh, basically, the Lord's saying that he's going to, he's going to, to, to call um, his bride, he's going to call um, 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 uh, Israel out into the desert, and he's going to surround her with thorn bushes, that's a, that same word. It could be used of a fish hook. It could be used of an impaling rod where, where people would impale, you know, people on rods. Uh, um, <laughs> that, but basically, he says, that that's what this thorn, he said, it's, it's, it's a thorn in my flesh. It's a, it's a sharp pain. It's causing me pain in, in my being, in my body. Now, physically or not, we don't really know, but, but he's saying he's really, he suffered from this thing. Uh, but he says, this gift was given to me to keep me from being proud. Now, yeah, on one hand, he says it's a gift. On the other hand, he says, and it, and it hurts. On one hand, he says it's a gift given by whom? Given by God, but carried out by whom? Who is the messenger here? The messenger of Satan. How in the world does that work in your theology, right? Yeah, how in the world does that work? Um, let me explain it the best I can or the best I understand it anyway myself. Satan has intentions, right? Jesus talked about him. He said the, the, the thief comes. He's talking about Satan there. He's right. The thief comes to what? Steal, kill, destroy, right? right. Satan has, has hatred in his eyes. He's got lies as his, as his native tongue, the Lord Jesus would talk about. And he's got stealing, killing, and destroying um, as his intent for us believers, right? Okay. All right. Now, what Satan intends for evil, often God intends for Good, right? Do you remember in the Old Testament, you remember in Genesis where Joseph, Joseph was sold by his brothers. You remember Joseph was the, the prince of dreams, whatever that's called. I can't remember what that movie was, but anyway, it was really cool. But uh, anyway, so Joseph was sold as his brothers into slavery. He ended up in, in Egypt and he became, and he suffered there terribly, right? He, he suffered because he had been sold by his own people. He'd been given over to the Egyptians, which sounds a little bit like Jesus, doesn't it? Almost like he's a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. You know why? Because the whole book of the Bible is about Jesus. It really is. That's just for us to understand him better. Okay. Oh, anyway, that's just a side note. So, uh, so, uh, so this happened to Joseph. He was sold into slavery. He suffered. He was wrongly accused, just like Jesus. He was wrongly accused, and he suffered in prison for years, but God gave him the ability to interpret dreams, and he interpreted the dreams of Pharaoh, and he was given wisdom that there was a famine coming and that they needed to prepare. And do you remember what happened is that later his brothers came into the court, into, into, into Pharaoh's court, and there was Joseph before him, and he recognized them, but they didn't recognize him. And there in his midst, he, he says he you know, pulled off his, his robes, and he showed them that it was him. He says, brothers, it's me. It's your brother Joseph. He, he was the one that they'd sold into slavery, and they'd left for dead, right? And he says, but what you intended to harm me, God intended for good. It's not exact words, but it's real close to that. He basically says, God put me here. No, 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 wait a minute. 
your brothers put you here through an act of evil where they were trying to get rid of you and they sold you as a slave. Joseph says, God put me here. Even through an evil, evil act, even through something that's, that's wrong, even through something that none of us could, would say that that was good or right and maybe the brothers had some good intention in their heart. No, there was nothing like that. But God's plan was not undone. You see, somehow in God's sovereignty, all the evil of man, all the, the poor decisions we make, all the, even the sins in our lives is not, does not overcome the plan and the goodness of God. Amen? Somehow his sovereignty is over all of that, and he works out even those evil things for the benefit of his people and the fulfillment of his plan. Incredible. And I, I tell you what, that part where Joseph stands up and he says, what you intended for evil, God did so that I may prepare, could provide in, for, in Egypt and so that you and God's people could be provided for and sustained in the time of a drought, in the time of a famine in the land. And God used that evil to happen in Joseph's life that he might provide for the Israelites for, the, for generations. Okay. Um, yeah, we, we really struggle with this. How in the world is it that... That, that, um, that somehow this can be a gift from God and a messenger from Satan. How in the world does that work? Listen, it's just like what happened with Job, right? So, so, so Satan goes to, to God, and God, God actually brings it up, right? Consider my servant Job, he says, right? Um, I hope, right, when, God's in, when Satan's in God's presence, I hope he doesn't say, well, consider my servant David. You know, let's just, just pretend like, let's not even talk about me there, right? You know? uh, right, because what happens? So, so Satan, who's here to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. What does he do with, with Jacob's family, with his livestock? What's he do? With his health, he steals, kills, and destroys it all. It's all gone. Like, you know, it's like, man, you remember the story there in Job 1 and Job 2? Man, it's just one servant can't get there with bad news before, and get done before the next one's there with bad news. Oh, yeah, the flock's gone. Servants destroyed. Everything's, you know, calamities come on, on all of us, right? But the, the amazing thing is, is that what, God, what Satan had intended to destroy, God intended to bless. Because in the end, what happened with Job? God doubled everything that he had, right? Satan intended to destroy, but the Lord used to give him to bless. Incredible. So what Satan intended for bad, for evil, God intended for good. Now, it's one thing for us to see this in someone else's life, like Joseph, like Job, like Paul. But man, this is hard to see in your life, isn't it? It's hard to see in the midst of the trouble that you have going on, in the midst of the affliction, in the midst of the thing that's accosting you, it is really hard to see that God's doing something amazing and incredible in that time, right? It's hard to say, it's hard to look at that and say, wow, this must be a gift from God, right? And matter of fact, if someone came up to you in that time and said, wow, this must be a gift from God, you'd probably hit them, right? I mean, you, right? If you didn't physically, you would have wanted to, right? It would have been in your heart, right? It is, it is, it is almost impossible to see, but, but here's, the, here's the moral of the story is that even in evil, God intends good for his people. Incredible. Incredible sovereignty. Incredible ability for God to control it all. Okay, we've got to get back in here. So... Um, so let's pick up in verse 7 again. To keep me from becoming conceited, because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. 
Verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. All right, so here he is. So he's praying, and he, this is somehow very different from all the other suffering that Paul had gone through. This is, this is intensely personal for him. He's, he's pleading with the Lord to take it away. He doesn't talk about this, about his beatings. He doesn't talk about like this, about, his, about the persecutions. He doesn't talk about this thing was particularly perplexing for, for Paul and particularly personal to him. And look at the Lord's response. But he said, I am all about health and wealth. Oh, wait a minute. It's not in here. Okay. Verse 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Wow, okay. So he goes to the Lord and he says, Lord, please take this. And what's the Lord's response? My grace is sufficient. You know, I hate the way that reads in English. It, it almost sounds like, you know, if your problem's up here, then my grace is it's, yeah, just enough. It's, it's not like that in the Greek. What, what, this, what this means is it, is it is fully sufficient to meet your need, it, right? It, it, it's not lacking in any way to meet the need that you have. And so, yeah, so what's the, what, what's the crux of the matter here is that the Lord's saying, I'm not going to take this away. You're going to learn to, to live with this with my grace. You're not going to do it alone. You're not going to do it apart from my power. You're not going to do it apart from my grace. But my grace will be sufficient for you to carry you through this. All right. Now, all of us would have liked for this story to have ended differently, right? All of us would have liked to have heard that. And when Paul approached the Lord and the Lord saw how serious Paul was, the Lord relented and said, Oh, yes, you're right. You shouldn't have to suffer like this. But it doesn't. It, it doesn't. This ends with the Lord saying, you're, you're going to know, you're going to know what it means to rely on me. You're going to know what it is to, you're going to know what it is to, to be humble. You're going to know what it is to rely on my grace and my sufficiency. Yeah? Okay. Let me, uh, let me, let me tell you a couple things why this is so important. There was a, a study done here just, um, oh goodness, six months ago where they completed it. Basically, and it was a study of, of, of kids who were teenagers and in their early 20s. And it asked them all kinds of questions about their view, views of God. And these were kids who were in the church, mind you. These were not un, non-believers. These were, these were kids who were in the church, grown-up believers. Basically, what they found was is that from day to day, their relationship with the Lord didn't make much difference. Did you hear me? Day to day, th their relationship with the Lord didn't make much difference. But when it came to times of trouble, when it came to times of, of, um, of need, they were very quick to pray and to ask God to move on their behalf. Okay? Now, those kids learned that somewhere. They either learned it in church or they learned it from their parents, right? That God doesn't really have much to do with my day-to-day -day life. But when I need him, he's like a magical fairy that I pull off the shelf and I sprinkle magical fairy dust on my problems and my problems all get better. That's kind of the theology um, of a lot of kids that have grown up in church today. Is that the theology of the Bible? No, I, I didn't have it. I, I don't have it for the notes up here, but l let me just read from you. From you. Let me read to you from um, Acts chapter 17. This is the Apostle Paul speaking in Athens, one of the great sermons of really of all time. Listen to what he says about this God. Okay, so on one hand, you have the theology is that God's the God of my trouble. When I need him, I pull him down off the shelf and, and magic happens. Acts chapter 17, if you have your Bible there, turn there. Acts 17, verses 24 and 25. 
So you remember the scene, Paul's in Athens, right? And he sees, you know, the Athens are incredibly, the Athenians are, are incredibly religious folks. Man, they've got, they got temples, they've got shrines, they've got t- places up for every kind of god. And, and he goes and there's, a, there's a, even a tribute to the, the god, um, uh, how's that go? The, the, the unknown god, that's how it is. That's how it's stated, the, to, the, to the unknown god, right? And Paul says, let me tell you about this god that you do not know. Ah, brilliant, right? Just brilliant. And he starts to talk about the Lord God. Anyway, so here's what he says, uh, chapter 8, 17, verses 24 through 25. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. So let me pause there for just a moment. What's he say? What does God need from us? Oh, say it again. What does God need from us? How about those other gods there in Athens? They had to be paid tribute to. They had to be worshipped, all these other things. God needs nothing from us, right? Okay, now he's going to contrast that with people. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Okay, so let's contrast those two theologies. One says, I have my life. Whenever I need God, whenever I have trouble, I bring him down off the shelf and and I use him to get what I want. Does that sound like this? He gives everyone life, breath, everything else. Paul would say too um, in Colossians, he would say, he would talk about Jesus Christ and he says, he's the creator of all things and in him all things consist or all things hold together. Basically, it's this picture that Paul's painting about the Lord Jesus Christ where the Lord has everything in existence in his hand and he's making it all work and he's making it all function and if he were to withdraw his hand, everything ends, right? A little different than the fairy God, right, that we've somehow taught our children to believe in. This is the God who gives you every breath. This is the God who who everything you have is because of him, this is the God who everything around you, everything, every, every thought, every idea, every, every thing of any substance, uh, you know, every particle in every atom, everything was created and is being sustained by him. That is the God, pardon me, that is the God that we worship. And listen, the, here's, here's, the big, here's the big drum roll. Are you ready? This is the big pinnacle of the sermon. And we need him every moment of the day. You get a thorn in your flesh and your eyes are finally open to the fact that you need God, right? Something happens in your life and your children are in trouble and you hit your knees and all of a sudden what we've been in a fog about for years is suddenly very clear. You need God for every breath. We need him for everything. We are fully dependent on him. And, and I know, you know, we don't walk away around thinking about that or knowing about that. And honestly, that's part of the rebellious, sinful nature that's in every one of us and expressed in the discovery and the, and the history channels, right? Uh, I've been on them lately. I don't know what's wrong with me. But, but uh, that is expressed there. And for some reason, we don't want to need, like, need God like that. We, don't want, we want to be fully self-sufficient. But that's part of the rebellion that's in us that says, I can live my life apart from God. Challenge is, no, you can't. No one can. And there's going to be a day, one day, 
when that becomes painfully obvious to everyone on earth and everyone who's passed in, 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 in life, everyone, everyone's going to stand and everyone's going to realize whether or not they found the life that's in the Lord Jesus Christ or not, right? That, that day's coming. That day's coming for us all. But, uh, but let, me, let me just encourage you. If you're, in, if you're in one of those times right now, if you're in one of those places and you just feel like you're dependent on God for every breath, listen, your eyes have been opened to the truth. You, you, you finally have some clarity of thought. All this other time that you thought you were, you were your own man and you were your own woman, you were your own person and you were doing everything you wanted and you were completely independent and you were completely self-sufficient, that was a fog. That, that, that's a shadow. That's a deception. The truth is every breath you need him. Every moment you need him. Every, every time your children leave the house or your children are in the, your house, it is fully dependent upon the grace of God that they may return. Amen? Every time that, that, that any of us struggle with any health issue whatsoever or just depend on health for anything, for, for our lives, it is because the Lord allows it. That's the picture. That's the theology that we have in the Scriptures is that we are dependent upon God. We are a dependent people. We are a creation. We are created things who are always in need from our Creator. Amen? Amen? You with me? Okay, we've got we to gotta finish this here. Let's see. And that's why Paul says in verse 9, so read with me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, so th- for this reason, Paul says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. What's he saying? Is that because I have this thing, because I have this issue, and it, it is distressing, it accosts me, I struggle with it, but because of it, I can come to you and I can say, God's grace is sufficient for you. Let me tell one more story, and I promise I'll leave you alone. Let's, uh, let's finish this. So, uh, that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. How about that? I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am strong, when I am weak, then I am strong. How about that? So Paul says, my strength isn't found in me, myself alone. My strength is found in Christ alone. Even in my weakness, he is strong. Let me tell you a quick story. I have a friend of mine whose wife uh, has left him. They um, have uh, oh, four children. There, and and uh, when she first, and just kind of lost, just kind of just left, just kind of wanted to do her own thing. Um, and, and she left him and... Um, uh, and for a long time, there for a while, he was really struggling with his faith. Uh, he'd been in ministry. They'd been in ministry together for, for years and years, uh, decades maybe. And, um, uh, and, they'd really, and he was really beginning to struggle, really beginning to ask God, if I'm your follower, why would you let me go through this? Why wouldn't you change her heart and bring her back to me? I got to meet with him just this last week, and, and uh, he said, you know, I'm through, I'm through questioning my faith now. I'm through with that because he said, what I can see on the other side is I can see the Lord has been working and he's been carrying me through my broken heart. He said, my heart's been broken. I, I, you know, I, I, I didn't want to live. I, I, this has been a terrible thing for me. I didn't want this. This is not what I wanted. But he said, but the Lord's carried me and I can see on the other side of this now that, that, that his desire is to carry me through this and sustain me through it. Can you imagine the heartbreak of divorce? You, you imagine the heartbreak and the, the, the difficulty that it is to just, and just the abject rejection that, that, that is divorce. 
Very difficult, <laughs> very difficult. All right, well, let's, let's pray. We'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time that we've had together. We thank you that we could open your word, Lord God, and that, uh, and that we, could, we could be in your word, and we could remember, Lord Jesus, that you intend good for us. So, Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you, Lord God, that in the midst of our difficulties, in the midst of our trials, Father, that we can remember that you, what, what the enemy intends to harm us, you intend for our good. And so, Father, I just pray, wherever our, everyone is this morning, wherever we, we have folks at in, in their struggles, or, or if they're between struggles or in the middle of a struggle, Lord God, I pray that you'd help us all to remember, Lord God, that your intention is for good for us, and you desire to bless us and to carry us through it. So, Father, we thank you for your all-sufficient grace. We thank you for your power that is at work in our weakness. And Father, we just ask for those who might be suffering this morning, would you carry them through? Would you give them your grace and your strength and your power? We ask this in Jesus' great name. Amen. 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 Listen, y'all have a great week. Appreciate you being here. VBS training from 4 to 5 today if you want, or sign up for another time in the back. Thanks very much. to be